0: This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. Still to come, top of the hour, Andrew Ference. will talk about the uh, NHL's new ball hockey initiative. You heard Greg and I, Greg Wyshynski and I, talking about this yesterday uh, on the program. Andrew Ferrance, a big part of this and part of the momentum behind it, uh, will join me coming up in hour two. In the meantime, it is the return of Alexander Ovechkin as the Washington Capitals face off against the Anaheim Ducks. Washington, losers of five in a row are watching their playoff hopes fade and fade and fade. tonight. Uh, they hope to start to turn those back around. Tarek Al-Bashir joins me now. One of my favorites. Uh, all-around great guys. Covered this team for a number of years. You can read him in The Athletic. And he joins me now. Tarek, how are you today, sir?
2: Hey, Jeff. How's it going? I'm doing well.
1: Uh, okay, so first of all, before we get to the team itself and the future and the deadline and the GM and all of that, um, Alex Ovechkin returns to the lineup today. Um, right. It is the Washington Capitals facing off against the Anaheim Ducks. Um, missed a number of games uh, and a number of days as well, uh, mourning the passing of his father. He's uh, returned. This will obviously give the Washington Capitals a a shot in the arm. Um, I'm sure he's spoken. I haven't seen quotes yet. What is what is Ovechkin said in advance of his return tonight?
2: He's ready to go. Um, you know, we spoke to him yesterday, and uh, you know, he's still pretty. Uh, pretty emotional, and the, the you know the emotions are still pretty raw. He was really close with his father. You know, I've covered Alex since his rookie yeah. year, and I remember those first few years. I mean, Mikhail Ovechkin had his own key fob to the locker room. Like he just he would just walk on through, yeah. you know, say hi to the guys. Hey, anyone seen Alex? He would say that in really broken English. He was looking for Alex to, to catch a ride back to back home because he was living with Alex was living with his parents here in Washington. I mean, they were just very right. close. And so, you know, he was really broken up. I mean, Mikhail had been sick for a number of years. You know, he wasn't even well enough to come over in 18 when they won the Cup. His mother, Tatiana, did come over. Um, but, you know, his health has yeah. been failing for a number of years. So, you know, that doesn't make it any easier. But, you know, he he, he knew that his father was not going to be around much longer uh, but the real sad thing was you know w- when he got the call saying he was on his deathbed he wasn't able to to get home in time to see him for a, a final time he did tell us yesterday with tears in his eyes you know that he said you know thank god for facetime you know i, I got a chance to, to to say goodbye and to talk to him for a few minutes and um he's back you know he, he took a optional skate yesterday um he it was a full morning skate today uh he looked like a guy who'd only been on the ice one time. he said he, he was able to skate once in russia. Um, but you know the caps really need him and and I think at this moment in his life, he really needs the caps, yeah. so you know he needs to be around his 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 guys, his brothers, they can help him get through this, and you know like you said they're they're losers of five in a row, their playoff hopes have faded i mean the the math looks really, really hard. Um, you know, he's he missed the last four games, but uh, you know he'll be back in there tonight, and I'm sure he'll want to make his presence felt.
1: Uh, I would imagine so. Um, Ovechkin's had a tough go. The Capitals have had a tough go. Um, they've fallen out of the playoff picture right now in the Eastern Conference. Um, do, do you think that the do you think that Brian McClellan might be looking at this team right now in advance of trade deadline and say? and saying, you know what, this isn't the season for us for a number of factors. Listen, the John Carlson injury just absolutely stung this team hard. Um, Do you think maybe the Washington Capitals look at this season and say, you know what, maybe we should punt this year, refresh, recharge, come back and take another shot at it next year?
2: I I think you're exactly right, Jeff. I I think they've arrived at that conclusion. You know, the next few games are still important. Let's say, you know, teams in front of them go on a a bit of a a slump and, you know, they win three in a row. Maybe, you know, they start to go out, you know, we're within a point of of wild card two. Um, You know, I I don't see them loading up at the deadline, uh, even if they were to win a few games and start to kind of claw their way back into it. I I do feel like they've kind of – they're kind of in the position where St. Louis was – a few years before they won the cup where they traded away Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, They made the playoffs anyway. I I think they had a good run at the end of the year, and they still snuck into the the postseason. Um, uh, But the the Caps, I do feel like they've arrived at the conclusion that this isn't our year. There's been too many injuries. We're still reintegrating Tom Wilson and Nicholas Backstrom. John Carlson is out. He may or may not be able to return this year. Um, They've got 10 UFA's on this team. I mean, they, they kind of set it up where this was the year where if things didn't look rosy, if things didn't look like um, you know they were going to be able to make a run with this core, they were going to have the flexibility to go out and um, maybe retool on the fly. And I, I feel like, regardless, and this is me talking, I feel like regardless of what happens over the next three, four games, they've kind of already decided that's what they're going to do. And I think three, four, or five players could be on the move here in the next uh, next little bit before the, the March third deadline, and they're going to try and get. But but they're not raising the right white flag. There's going to be no tear it down rebuild with Ovechkin and Backstrom on this roster. They're going to try and retool and you know trade some of these 31 and 32 year old guys for some 23 and 24 year old roster players if they're able to accomplish that.
1: You know, I, I do wonder, like, there's, there's a few players that I think we all wonder about. I think, you know, up front, we wonder about Connor Sheary, And I think we wonder about Hathaway. I was talking about him yesterday. And, you know, for a team that wants a little bit of, you know, nastiness and, and aggression for their, their playoff mm-hmm. front, Hathaway could be a, a, a real value for you, uh, for a team. Mm-hmm. But the, the one thing we always hear come trade deadline time is always, we want depth defensemen. We want depth on the blue line. And, you know, whether it's Nick Jensen, I wonder about Trevor Van Riemsdyk, maybe even with a team like the Maple Leafs. Um, Eric Gustafson, who's had a really nice season as well. I think they're trying right now to, to re-sign Dmitry Orlov. We'll see where that ends up. But to me, the, it's, it's eyeballs on all the UFAs, all the expiring contracts on the blue line. That's where you could see the real big, you know, run on defenseman here is, is in Washington, Tarek.
2: I, I agree with you, Jeff. I, I think I think there are some conversations going on uh, between Orlov's camp and and the Capitals. Um, I think the Capitals are going to need to figure out here in the next few days if they're going to be able to meet the asking price. Um, you know, I believe he's going to be thirty two later this year. Um, whether the term and the money makes sense, they like him. They like him. Uh, he's been a part of you know. They drafted him you know uh, in the two thousand in, in, in the second round many years ago. He's been a great soldier. He's gotten a lot better. You know, he's a part of the core. Alex Ovechkin really likes him. Um, uh, that said, if the ask is is you know out of out of the, 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 the realm of what the Capitals believe is in their best interest, they got to figure that out here in the next 72 hours or so. And if not, you know, if it is too, too much, they can. he's the player on the roster where they can probably get a first-round pick and maybe a, a, um, a prospect or a young player. He, he's, he's the biggest chip that they hold. Um, but you, you, you mentioned it. Nick mm. Jensen is a guy who is on an expiring contract. He's a good puck-moving defenseman. He's got some playoff experience. Um, uh, Eric Gustafson, um, according to Cap Friendly, he actually is the best defenseman in the league in terms of contract efficiency, cost per point. He's number one yeah. right now. He's only on an yeah. $800,000 yeah. cap bid. Uh, you know, he's a guy, I, I think the yeah. Capitals would, would, would be open to resigning him, but I also think that, you know, if the return is, let's say, a third-round pick, I think he might want to move on. I heard you mention TBR, uh, Trevor Van Riemsyke. They really like him here in D.C. Yep. I don't think they're going to part with him for a fifth-round pick or a sixth-round pick. I think they want to keep him. Mm-hmm. But if it's a third-round pick or a second-round okay, maybe maybe now we've got to talk about it. Um, um, but I, I don't think they're gonna, they're super eager to, to part with uh, TBR. Uh, but, you know, in, in terms of the forwards, you, you know, I, I think you mentioned it there. You know, Garnett Hathaway is a player whose game translates really well to – the postseason, you know, he has a little bit of snarl He can score. You know, he's using a in a defensive role with the Capitals. He could play on a yeah. on the third line of of a of a young team. Let's say like the New Jersey Devils that needs a little bit of that sandpaper for the playoffs. Um, Lars Eller got a, a wealth of playoff experience. Can win faceoffs. Has scored some huge goals. Yep. Did it for the Capitals when they won the Cup. You know, he hasn't had a great season, but I could see him. Uh, end up somewhere else. Marcus Johansson can play left wing, right wing, center, PK, power play, anywhere you want. He's another guy I think teams are going to call yeah. about. Connor Sheary as well. He's had a little bit of a, a little bit of a downturn here, but he can still uh, he can still play. Um, those are the guys I think could be on the move. I I, I think that you know the Caps are going to be relatively aggressive here. I mean, could you know bigger names like Anthony Mantha, TJ Oshie, Evgeny Kuznetsov, could they? Enter, it depends on what the offer is. I, I think they would listen. I think there's only, Jeff, I think there's only like five or six guys on this team that are untouchable. I think everyone else, you know, right. they're going to try and – this Caps team wants to win with Alex Ovechkin. The, 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 team, the, team, the team has already promised Alex we're not going to do a fire sale. We're going to keep a good enough team yep. around you so you can, A, try to make take another kick at the can, and so you can also pass Wayne Gretzky. That's been a, that's been promised to him. That's been promised to Nicholas Baxter. They're not going back on their word. The, the the challenge here is going to be getting younger, getting faster, getting hungrier, but also being good enough to at least be in, in the you know in the conversation for a playoff berth a year from now.
1: Was the um, was the Dylan Strom contract extension was that Lars Eller insurance? Or is that like sort of an acknowledgement that you know what Lars Eller probably not coming back next season, and we need uh, we, we, we need some help up the middle. How do you see the Dylan Strom deal? Yeah,
2: I, I think so. But at the same time, they they really like what he's brought. Um, you know, Alex Ovechkin uh, is not a, not an easy guy to play with, um, especially if you're you're a, you're a playmaking center and you like to have the puck on your stick Alex wants the puck and he wants it at the right time and he wants it in the you know the rhythm of the game and um he can be hard on his line mates if he's not, if he's not getting the looks that he thinks he should be getting he and Strom just seem to fit you know he he he, he does fit with Kuznetsov but yeah. Strom just gets him like he understands he's played with good Strom has played with good players in Chicago um so he knows kind of what his role is and and you know, it took a little bit of it took a few games of playing with Ovi to kind of figure him out but they're on the same wavelength now and so they saw that um you know again you're looking at um his age 25 years old they want to get younger um uh you know he's now got the, his, with this 5 year extension that kicks in next season he's actually signed longer than anyone else on the Capitals roster so that tells me that they kind of see him as a transitional piece as kind of an anchor piece that as this team transitions here over the next two, three years, uh, he's going to be a constant. Um, he's played well on the power play, uh, but more importantly, they know they've got a guy locked up now who can play with Alex Ovechkin, you know, um, uh, in, in somewhere in that top six, uh, but also, you know, gets Ovi. And, you know, gets along with him. Ovi likes playing with him. So that was a big part of that. But he, but you're right. I mean, it was Lars Eller. Lars Eller's not coming back. I, I mean, I, I think the tea leaves are – that's not reading the tea leaves. I, I think we're, we're – Relatively confident that um, uh, he's going to be on a different team, either at the deadline or or next season.
1: You, you know, um, if I can circle back to Hathaway, there's a uh, for a, for a couple of seconds here, Tarek. You know, he's got to me. I look at a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, who really value those types of players. When we go back to the the, the sure. board line and how they've always tried to sure. recreate it, and they like snarly, nasty, grumpy, miserable players to play against. Like t- to me, like hathaway fits that kind of hand to glove here like where they have cory perry and pat maroon and nick paul and brandon <laughs> hagel like these guys are miserable to play against and that seems to be what john cooper likes and that seems to be what you know julian breeze the general manager kind of delivers come trade deadline time
2: I'll tell you, I, I I think you you nailed Hathaway's mo um, uh, with what you said there. Uh, you know he's got a little bit of offensive upside too. I mean, um, you know he's a guy who can get you double digits goals in in, in, in a season, maybe even do a little bit better. Just in Washington, he's kind of used in that shutdown role. I know they call it the fourth line; it's really more like the third line here in D.C. Uh, because they, they do draw so so many um, uh, difficult matchups, they're often up against the other team's best offend, uh forward line. Um, and the thing I love about Hathaway, it, it, not only is he a fun guy to talk to, cause he's, he's just smart, and you know he gives back to the community. He's just yeah. he's just a, a good guy. Um, but the thing I love about him is. Uh, he's always in the middle of everything, and, but he always has this look on his face like, what, 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 why is this guy coming after me in the scrum? Why, why, is, why is he yapping at me? <laughs> he always has this kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> what did I do look on his face? But you know exactly what he did. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he gets on everyone's nerves. I mean, he can still hit. Um, uh, he can still deliver big punishing um, uh, hits in the corner, and, and he's a pretty good open ice hitter, but he's just a pest. And by the end of the game, the other team's best players want not they do not want to see number twenty one the rest of the month they, they they just want out of there because he has yeah. just chased them up and down the ice, running his mouth, you know you know um uh being an agitator and that's that's his best quality uh, and you can also score a big goal for you if um if need be so he is definitely a guy that, like you said, a Tampa Bay or you know maybe a young team that needs that needs a thirty year old who can kind of come in there and lead by example and and say the right things. You know, he's that guy, too.
1: Julian Breezebois, come get your guy. He's playing in Washington for (laughs) the Caps and the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Tarek, you're the best, man. Always appreciate our conversations. Uh, Thanks for sharing your insight, my friend. We'll catch up soon.
2: Give me a call anytime, Jeff.
1: Tarek Al-Bashir of The Athletic covering the Washington Capitals, and he's done so – he's seen all of Ovechkin, all of Ovechkin's career – um, from the draft to the first game, to all of it, to the rise of the next NHL's next great superstar, to him carving out a place on hockey's Mount Rushmore. Tarek Albashir bashir has been there to document all of it. Uh, going to take a break. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk uh, to Andrew Ferrance about the NHL's new ball hockey initiative. That's coming up in a couple of moments as well. Bob Tativa, the founder and CEO of Sense Arena. You're going to want to hang on and, and listen to this a little bit. It's all about virtual reality sports training, and it's a great way to train and keep your skills sharp as you're rehabbing injuries and specifically as you're rehabbing concussions. That's where I first um, was made aware of, uh, of Sense Arena. Anyway, a lot of goalies use this. Uh, that's coming up in Hour 2, and the Random Play of the Day is on the horizon. Hour 2 is coming up. Keep it here, Sportsnet. 360 and also um, on Sportsnet Now and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in a moment.
3: Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions
0: on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, so welcome to Hour 2. Andrew Ferris coming up here in a couple of moments. Former NHLer, former Stanley Cup champion. Now, um, one of the people spearheading something really cool that we were talking about yesterday. NHL Street, um, ball hockey leagues across North America. More on that in a couple of moments. Good on the NHL for getting uh, behind ball hockey. In the meantime, time for the random player of the day. Uh, to nominate your random player of the day. And we've got some great follow-ups that we'll do. He's uh, got some great ones specifically about Juha Veeding. Uh, we'll do those tomorrow. But for your chance to nominate uh, and learn more about your player of the day, Show at sportsnet.ca is the email address. Please use it liberally. Matt Marchese along with me. Hey, Matty, you, know, um, you know how press releases um, when it comes to injury updates are pretty... I don't know, like pedestrian and, you know, pretty boring, to be perfectly blunt with you. Yep. Did you see Montreal's did you see Montreal's injury update today? The Montreal Canadiens?
4: No, I didn't, actually.
1: There's something really that I've never read before. And this is all sort of under the umbrella of, and I was talking about this on the podcast the other day, Chris Botta, when he used to be the... Uh, director of communications for the New York Islanders when they were trying to hide an injury to Rick DiPietro. I think it might have been a knee. Maybe his back. Who knows? Um, instead of being specific about it, he just wrote uh, that he's suffering from quote general body soreness. That was maybe my favorite injury related press release I ever saw from any team forever, period. But this is an interesting one. So the Montreal Canadiens, with a press release today, just injury updates on uh, on Armia, on Edmondson, on Weidman as well. And let me read this one to you. I don't know that I've read anything quite like this. Forward Kirby Doc won't join the team on the road in Philadelphia. Doc was earlier diagnosed with a non-COVID-related illness that has sidelined him since February the 16th. Through the course of further medical evaluation and testing, it was determined that the illness-like symptoms were related to a lower body injury. What?
4: Yeah, I'm confused. (laughs) Further medical
1: evaluation and testing, it was determined that the illness-like symptoms were related to a lower body injury. I'd like to know more about this. I've never read anything like this in my life. Like, does that not leave you with? Uh, we have a couple more paragraphs here because that's really uh, intriguing, slash, probably not any of our business. But nonetheless, things you read in what would otherwise normally be ho hum press releases. Anyway, Armia, Edmondson, and Weidman. There's your medical evaluations on them in Kirby Doc. Uh, is perhaps the most intriguing one of the day. Anyhow, uh, random of the player of the day before we get to Andrew Ferencz here. What do we got today, Matty?
4: So we got a former Ranger, a former Montreal Canadian and uh, Mm Guelph-Ontario native. Someone who played for the Vancouver Canucks, but not where you thought he might. Uh, Lou Fontenato, and this one sent in by Quinn Johnson.
1: Okay, so Lou was one of the toughest players in the game when he played. Um, And he wasn't shy about chasing guys all over the ice, Uh, most specifically Gordie Howe. More on him in a couple of moments. Uh, Good defenseman, left-hand shot, played from 54 to 61. Um, He was referred to as Leapin Lou, um, and he was called that from when he played in Guelph with the Biltmore's. And the play-by-play voice of the team called him Leaping Lou because of how he would lose his mind when a penalty was called against him. He would sort of leap all over the ice and twist himself into a frenzy every time uh, he was called for a slight. Um, That's where he got the nickname Leaping Lou. Um, Tough defenseman, as you mentioned, played with the Rangers. The Montreal Canadiens played in the Vancouver Canucks. With the when the Western League was a pro loop, uh, played with the Vancouver Canucks then, that would have been in the early 50s, um, was the first player ever, Matty, in the NHL to accrue... 200 penalty minutes in a season. That was in 55-56 with the Rangers. Phil Watson would have been the coach. Phil Watson, famous for his feud at that time with Lauren Gump-Worsley, would often complain about Gump-Worsley having a beer belly, to which Gump said, that shows you how much our coach knows. I don't drink beer, only whiskey. What a great line by Gump Worsley. If only <laughs> hockey had Twitter back then when Gump Worsley was a goaltender. Uh, his career came into a horrible end. March 9th, 1963, uh, was trying to hit Vic Hadfield, uh, and he fell into the boards, broke his neck, was completely paralyzed for a couple of weeks, but uh, but was able to work his way back. But that was it uh, for Lou Fontenato and had, as I mentioned earlier, a very famous fight uh, with Gordie Howe um, in, back in 1963. Uh, it was the fight that rearranged Lou Fontenato's nose. And when you see things like that, you say to yourself, it looked like Fontenato ran the 100 uh, yard dash in a 90 yard gym. That's what happened to Lou Fontenato's noise. We lost Lou in 2016, passed away um, in Guelph, Ontario. Where he was born and where he played his junior hockey. That is the random player of the day, Maddie, Lou Fontenato, the leaping one. You anything to add about Lou?
4: Yeah, just the. He was. You remember those cards that I was talking about? Another one of those players that I must have had a thousand of them and didn't realize how tough this guy was until I talked to my dad about it. My dad's like, yeah, that guy was in the penalty box all the time. He was tough as nails. He fought Gordie Howe. He fought all these guys. And I'm like, really? And at that point I was like, I think I need to do a little <laughs> bit more research on these players that I'm seeing who are actually legends in this game. And I was just a kid. So yeah, it, yeah, Leap and Lou was definitely one of those guys on I think they were Parkhurst cards, if I'm not mistaken. I got you know what? I'm sure my mom has Those were the ones, yeah. Parkhurst
1: for, for sure. Yeah, I yeah, think that those was were the ones that was they. the uh, you know before before there was the upper decks and the Opeaches, there was there was Parkhurst and they were the uh, and what what they would do is back when there were only six teams in the NHL, and this is the great story about a guy by the name of Len Broderick. So Parkhurst would pick essentially three days of the year and they'd come and take they'd take all the photographs and they'd cover off all six teams. And there was one it was a Toronto, Montreal game. I gotta get the year right on this one. It's so a Toronto Montreal game, and the Parkhurst photographer showed up at Maple Leaf Gardens Jacques Plante was supposed to play um, but didn't because uh, he fell ill. So they used the house goalie who at that point in Toronto was a guy by the name of Len Broderick. And so once they published all the photographs of the players, like, okay, here's Almer Locke. And he's standing around the Habs net and there's someone who's clearly not Jacques Plante. It took a while till they finally figured out that Len Broderick was the goaltender. So there's all these cards of the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs from one very specific Parkhurst set around the Montreal Canadiens net. And it's Len Broderick who played the one game in the NHL but was on a number of hockey cards because that was the day the Parkhurst photographer showed up. To a random photographer of the day. How about that one, then, Matty? We'll <laughs> that one's great. Our favorite, uh, our, 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 our legendary players have played one game, but were immortalized in a Parker set of cards uh, standing in for Jacques Plante for one game. Anyhow, uh, that was then, and this is now. And the future of getting uh, kids uh, to grab hockey sticks is not necessarily on the ice, but maybe rather on the concrete. Uh, we talked about this on yesterday's program a lot, and I want to spend more time talking about it today as the NHL looks to take it to the street NHL street specifically um one of the big driving forces behind it is a Stanley Cup champion former NHLer and he is Andrew Ference who joins me now Andrew is you know longtime NHLer works with the NHL director of social impact growth and fan development that is a very big business card right there Andrew Ference
0: <laughs> it is Uh, But I still don't have a a guest appearance on Dan Carl and Hardcore History, and that's where your sweet voice uh, (laughs) brings back memories for me. I know we're mutual fans of that, but I do have a long business now, and I've struggled to explain my job to uh, kids sometimes, but I'm getting better at it now with street hockey in the mix. It's a lot easier to explain.
1: I'll tell you, just as a quick aside, that was like winning uh, a a fantasy podcast camp. That was like, if you could ever go on one podcast in the world, it would have been Dan Carlins. I hosted an event with him, and then he asked me to do that. And it was like, listen, I grew up a kid, you know, wanting to play in the NHL and win the Stanley Cup. You did both. Uh, You know what that feels like. But then later when it became obvious that I wasn't good enough to do anything with hockey and became a broadcaster, you have these ideas like boxes that you want to check along the way. And uh, huge Carlin fan, so doing the uh, the hardcore history addendum show was a was a thrill for this guy. Um, but listen, we're here to talk about ball hockey, and I used to play, you know, in the Ontario Ball Hockey Association for a few years. Loved it. Um, we think of players like Alex Burrows, who was a great Canadian ball hockey player, and you know worked his way up from the ECHL to the AHL to the the NHL, and had a, a very distinguished career. Most notably, playing alongside the Sedin's. You and I, I think it might have been about a, a year ago, Andrew, we're talking about this, and you brought up a really good point that one of the things that needs to happen here in order to get more hockey sticks in kids' hands is we need to maybe look less on the ice and more on the street and and ball hockey which is really before you start playing on the ice anyhow when you're picking up a stick you're playing in your backyard or the schoolyard or the the street out front and yelling car as one goes by um give us a nickel and dime tour here on what nhl street is all about
0: yeah well i mean covid offered us a lot of frustration but it did give us a lot of time to really kind of just break down some of our our ideas around uh the growth of the game and and about what we actually want to try to accomplish And, and so we had a lot of time to to brainstorm and and really just kind of start from a whiteboard. Uh, We're not reinventing the sport, you know, street hockey has been around forever and cul-de-sacs and whatnot. Um, And, you know, on the other side, we've also handed out, uh, you know, no shortage of hockey sticks through different programs uh, around hockey, um, around ice hockey in in, in emerging markets and and trying to get kids to try the sport. And so we've done a lot in the space of of trying to grow the game. The one place that we haven't, you know i think really dove into on a regular basis is 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 on the street and really well programmed um uh, you know multi-week uh league play you know where kids sign up especially in in communities that aren't flush with uh with hockey in its culture and and ice rinks all over the place like Mm -hmm. we need to go to the street um so we sat down and, and what we wanted to accomplish was to develop a generation of uh, kids that have great memories of, of, of playing a game, uh, whether it's their first time or whether they're uh, taking an exit ramp out of competitive hockey or whether it's just a supplement to their competitive hockey or, or something completely new that, you know, the first person in their family to ever experience hockey. You know, what we're trying to do is, is really just have kids walk away saying, like, wow, that was a good time. That was a lot of fun. We're not trying to develop the next, you know, Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or anything like that. That might happen organically. Uh, and, and I think that through the yeah. creativity of street hockey and, and, and what we're setting up, you know, some of those stories will probably happen over the years. Uh, but our real goal is just to develop a massive foundation of people that, you know, get to try the sport, have a really good time with it, in a, in a really just kind of fun atmosphere. Um, we're going to be playing music. You know, I think you saw in the, in the release yesterday, we've got cool jerseys, and yep. Franklin's done a great job with their equipment. It's going to be really well run by... Uh, our partners at RCX who are doing an incredible job with, you know, the NFL and its flag football program right now. Um, so I think we've done it right. You know, we've, we've put a lot of thought into it. And uh, and I think we're approaching it the right way. Like, like I said, starting with fun and starting with good memories.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can, like, when I look back, I'm not sure what your experience was like, but my, my ball hockey experience, because I was a netminder and I always wanted to be Mike Palmateer. He was my guy, and every save that I made, there was Paul Matier, every glove save specifically, and that was it. That's how I fell in love with the game. This is, you know, uh, you know uh, long before I actually, you know, put skates on and, and, and tried, you know, being a goaltender on ice. Um, what were your early ball hockey experiences? What are some of your early ball hockey memories? I mean, we all picked out who we were. Who, were, who was a uh, young Andrew Ference when he played ball hockey?
0: Well, I, I was Bill Rantford in, in goal uh, quite a bit or Grant Fear uh, was an nice. Uh so all my all my neighbors were older than me so I was usually I usually ended up in net um and, and the tennis balls uh, <laughs> got pretty cold in Edmonton so I got a few welts. Yeah. Uh, over the years but uh once I made the transition when I got old enough and found a younger neighbor than I was uh, to put in net then I became Paul Coffee and uh you know had a, a number of end-to-end uh, uh game 7 winning goals. Uh, that I that I would commentate in my own head, so uh, it was it was a great time. You know, I, th- I think it's it's the space that's you know open to creativity. It's open to be whatever you want. I think that um, you know the other thing that we're trying to break down is, is, is starting a program that's not full of X's and O's and it's not full of practices. It's it's almost uh, you know, like quite honestly, you know, when we're sitting around talking about this, we're boring a lot of what video games have gotten right. Put the game in. Don't read the entire manual. Don't have a parent coaching you for five hours before you're allowed to play a game. Just jump into it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know there's a little tutorial if you're brand new, new to it. Here's how to hold the stick. Here's how to shoot the ball. Here's the point of the game. But it's not flush with rules. It's not flush with practice. It's not flush with the coach yelling tactics at you and, you know, making sure that you're a you're defense so you can't leave the blue line, like that kind of stuff. Like, get rid of it all and, and, yeah, and throw yeah, the creativity yeah. back into the game. Let the kids do what they want.
1: So there's going to be no talk of uh, of F1s and F2s and F3s and flush the boards and none of that kind of <laughs> stuff?
0: <laughs> hey, I sure hope not. I mean, I know, I think we all, we've all we all seen the evolution of, of youth sports and, and how it's been, you know, uh, it, it's gone. And I think, you know, that, that path is there. I, I, I was on that path, right? Like, you know, you make the NHL and it's, it's, it's there for good reason. But I think that. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of what we see, you know, not just in hockey, but across across a lot of you sports is, you know, it's a lot of the practices and a lot of the development is designed around what the pros do. And, you know, for the mm-hmm. giant part of part of the population that is playing sports, like they don't need that. They they really need the, the fun. They need the the creativity. They need the ability to, uh, you know, create the culture and and, and idea of what the game should look like not have somebody dictate to them you know what it should look like and so that's what we really hope for we're going to go into communities that like i said haven't traditionally been involved in hockey we're getting outside of our club markets by you know by partnering with with rcx and you know we'll be in places like uh you know austin texas or you know down in new mexico or you know in the maritimes where we don't have an nhl club nearby and um you know we want you know, kids in those communities to, to make the game whatever they want it to be. You know, however, however it looks, you know, the music that they're playing, the, the style that they're playing with, you know, the moves that they're coming up with. Uh, I think they should come from their own creativity, not from, you know, not from, you know, what uh, a coach thinks they should be doing.
1: Alongside Andrew Ferentz, um by the way, the, the website, if you want to learn more about it, nhlstreet.com. Um, and there's a, there's a form you can fill out if you're looking to start uh, an NHL street league. And uh, the league will reach out with uh, all the necessary information. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, those markets in between NHL markets. You and I talked about this last year, and you, uh, you really opened my eyes to something. And I've thought a lot about it is, you know, needing the ability, having the ability and needing the ability To be able to reach kids specifically in between the nhl markets you know like what happens in those towns in between columbus and pittsburgh what happens to those markets in between ottawa and toronto like the influence is obvious when you're in those markets you watch a game and wow i want to pick up a hockey stick and you know do what i just saw on on television or, or went and saw live um, so when you mentioned, you know, Maritimes, and you mentioned New Mexico, and you mentioned Austin, like, to me, that's where I think a lot of the heavy lifting has to happen. Because there's not that immediate influence of the NHL team being there. How much like when you look at, you know, the, the, the ladder of importance of what you're, you're doing here for the ages of six to 16, getting in between those NHL markets and getting sticks in hands?
0: Well, for the most part, we just want to be on the menu for youth sports, where in a lot of those communities, I mean, maybe not so much in Canada, um, but for sure in parts of the States, you know, when you're a parent, you go to sign your kids up for, you know, whatever they're going to be playing that year. Um, Like I said, you know, flag football is on the menu, right? Basketball's there, soccer's there. Yep. You know, and you're you're a parent that wants to get their kids involved in something that's fun and, you know, try it out. And, you know, I think a lot of parents are, uh, you know, are, are, You know, like that. They just want to find something that's really positive and a fun experience for their kids, right? So, a lot of those communities were simply not on the menu. Um, You know, the hockey, Mm -hmm. there's not hockey rinks, you know, it's scattered across, uh, uh, you know, large portions uh, of North America, you know. So, ice hockey is just off the menu completely. Um, And then street hockey itself, um, you know, typically isn't there. And if it is, it's, it's, you know, not run by the NHL and, and not, you know, to a level that we think is, Uh, doing the game justice so like i said we wanted to you know kind of move into that empty space first of all get it on the menu and make sure it's done in a way that Mm -hmm. you know kids walk away from and feel really incredibly excited about 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 the game you know that they could be introduced to for the first time um you know to a certain extent like we're we're you know, influenced. You know, when we're building out this program, I think we're we're from the same generation, so we both know and one basketball, yep. uh, which blew my mind when yep. I was growing up and, and watching. You know, what that did for the <laughs> game of basketball with its style, its music, you know, the the kind of attitude that it brought with it. It was just something so different, and it was something that I think, um, you know, for a big generation of kids, like really got them interested in the game, whereas they would have looked at traditional basketball back then and been kind of like, eh. You know, maybe a shoulder shrug, you know, mm-hmm. wasn't really for them. Uh, but that really spoke to them. You know, same with snowboarding. You know, when snowboarding hit the ski slopes, it was kind of the, the rebel and, you know, brought a new style to it and new music um, and really helped influence, yeah. you know, what the what the skis and the slopes look like today. So, you know, when we're looking at this program, and we're looking at going into new communities, and like I said, having the community influence what this program looks like and what hockey can look like. Um, you know, I think those are some of our goals. Like, this is a long-term thing. Like, we expect this to go on for many years, and we expect, um, you know, street hockey to, to stand alone on its own and have its own culture and have its own look and feel, and 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 have that kind of pull on onto traditional hockey, whether it's through style and, uh, like I said, whether it's the jerseys and, and, and whatnot. Like, um, I, I think that's that's a, potent, a potential of this thing, and, and you only get that when you get into, you know, new communities that are. That are pushing, you know, what's cool to them onto the sport, as opposed to just kind of, um, you know, hitting up the same stuff that uh, that's are, that already exists in the sport.
1: That's where you get the growth. Um, I agree, and you, you you mentioned that for these leagues. You know, it's not going to be, you know, uh, ov- overly, you know, formulaic and these are the tactics and here's your play and here's our system, etc. But there are rules like for these leagues. And I want to get to, you know, a sort of what's expected of participants and how you set it up and everything. But what is the? What are some of the rules that we're working with here for NHL Street?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the basics of it, like you said, and I appreciate you throwing out the, the website where people can. Uh, you know, throw in their interest to, to run a league because that's the other aspect of it. we need this to be a successful business model for anybody actually trying to run, you know, run this in the communities. Yeah. Um, this is the first time the NHL has really handed handed down a lot of its you know intellectual property and the ability to run you know NHL branded programs at a at a community level. So typically, this will be you know the YMCA's of the world, the uh, Parks and Recs department, you know, local entrepreneurs, um, you know, really fo- following that NFL flag model where. Um, the community organizers are, are running this for their neighborhood and, 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 and actually, you know, putting this, putting this on week to week. Um, so we work directly with, uh, like I said, directly with RCX to, to, you know, get in touch with those community organizers who have interest in running this, and then they're well-supported to make sure that it's successful, right? Everything from equipment, you know, equipment ordering and jersey ordering to roster setup and schedule setup and insurance and registration, you know all the stuff that's you know pretty tough you know that's where that back end support comes from sure and then when you're actually running the program like i said you know the x's and o's and all that kind of stuff it's it's uh it's kind of out the window of creativity rules the game um, but you know keeping the stick below the knees um you know that's what the refs will be calling uh you know quick gameplay you know a lot of our test events we were running on a, a 30 by 60 rink so much smaller surface so it's okay uh, you know, very quick yep. uh shorter games smaller surface everybody's involved you know really quick hands and and uh you know kind of you know fast action and it also kind of eliminates the, the breakaway fest where you know uh, the fast kid just kind of takes the ball and runs away all the time um, so you know we, we really yep. like that smaller yep. surface and um you know running it on on basketball courts and tennis courts and um, uh, black tops that are kind of peppered throughout the country is is what we expect to see uh, uh, in, in most cases. Uh, but yeah, as far as rules, you know, the referees will be calling the high sticks, uh, making sure that there's none of that. You know, there's the the breakaway for for the penalties. You know, you're not sitting in the in the penalty box, but you know, you're getting chased chased yep. from behind on the breakaways uh, to try to score goals. And uh, yeah, very very quick gameplay.
1: It's awesome. Uh, and again, the website, nhlstreet.com, to see how you can get involved. Um, maybe you have a, a son or daughter that wants to get involved in it. Uh, check out the website on how you can get involved. Or maybe, as, you know, as Andrew mentions, uh, if you have an entrepreneurial spirit about spirit about you, uh, maybe you want to set up your own league as well. Um, listen, this is uh, this has been great. Good luck with this. Uh, when I saw the press release yesterday, was was pretty excited. And I, listen, you and I have talked about this uh, a couple of different times going back a year. So I'm I'm really glad that it's all coming together. I think it's a wonderful initiative, and, and I'm good on on you and the NHL for helping put this together. And I wish you all the luck in the world. This gets underway this spring slash summer, correct?
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're going to be in a few communities where. We're not kind of going everywhere all at once uh, at the very beginning. We want to do it right. We want to make sure that we're building this up in a, in a smart way so that we're uh, learning our lessons early on too. But, yeah, we'll be rolling out this spring sure. and summer in, in some select markets and, and, you know, hopefully exponential growth after that. Um, we've got a great partner. I, I'd be remiss to say that, you know, we can't do this without a good partnership. So, um, you know, not new to the space. Mm-hmm. Tim Hortons is in there uh, helping us out. They've, they helped us out a lot last year as a corporate sponsor. and uh, Tim Hortons has, has been on with us uh, for the next few years to help build this out across uh, across Canada. It'll be amazing.
1: That's awesome. Listen, wish you all the success in the world. Be well, and we'll uh, we'll check back soon. Thanks so much for this, Andrew. Thanks,
0: buddy. Really appreciate it.
1: There he is, Andrew Ference, former NHLer, Stanley Cup champion, now the NHL director of social impact, growth, and fan development. Listen, I played. Um, OBHA, Ontario Ball Hockey Association, for a number of years after. This wasn't before. Ball hockey, I always just played at the the tennis court or the schoolyard. I played uh, after my illustrious hockey career was done. Um, and it's great. And I've always... We'll bring Matt Marchese into this conversation here, too. I'm guessing that um, you fired the odd orange ball or frozen tennis ball around, too. Like, I really do think that if you're looking as a, for, a, for a way to get more people involved in hockey, the easiest and probably smartest way here, Maddie is get ball hockey sticks in their hands learn the game that way before you graduate to something as tricky as because you don't just put skates on and skate Uh, you got to learn how to do that so before that can happen i think you need to have the love of the game even before you put skates on so to me ball hockey hits home all day long maddie
4: yeah a couple of things on that so I played ball hockey growing up. You play in the streets. I played organized ball hockey. Ball hockey helped me travel. I went to places that I probably otherwise would not have gotten to yeah. uh, if it weren't for ball hockey. Yeah, I played in national championships, world championships. So I, I've, that was a big part of, of growing up. The other thing is, too, is where I get... so. everything that you said about you know not being able to skate and and you know it's it's expensive and all that stuff it resonates with me because that's how my dad understood the game a lot better in which he passed on you know his love of hockey to me because my dad never learned how to skate Uh his family was not very well off so skating and buying that stuff was not really an Uh option Um, And he played ball hockey. So uh, as did, you know, his brother and, and that's where, you know, so his love of the game came through playing organized ball hockey back in the seventies, when that just became a thing playing in rinks and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the, the grassroots level of it is very important. And listen, they're, I understand the NHL is, they're not trying to create the next superstar through this. They're trying to create the next generation of fans. And, That happened so many years ago in the greater Toronto area. And now we can see it in markets that aren't, you know, hockey markets by tradition so i think this is a great way to do Mm -hmm. it ball hockey can be played by anybody the the biggest thing is you know you have boys in hockey i played hockey the cost of it is just it's so expensive but if you can get kids at at that level and that next generation of hockey fans i think it's a honestly i was shocked that it hadn't been done yet
1: well, I mean, I was making this point yesterday to Greg too. When you consider the the nature of the NHL, and I know that you know coming out of COVID, you know it's, it's easy to just say, "Oh, the NHL should do this." Just you know, pull some money off the tree and put it together. I, we all understand how you know COVID has impacted hockey specifically, but you know, considering how you know the strongest brand in hockey is NHL, um, I'm I'm with you. I'm kind of surprised that they haven't tried to capture. Uh, a number of markets now. There's the the women's league issue, um, and as the the two you know rival entities continue to not be able to, to come together on something, the NHL um, doesn't want to pick or choose, so they're not they're choosing not to be involved at this point. Whether that changes at some point, we'll see. Um, but whether it's that, or whether it's ball hockey, or whether it's roller hockey, uh, which is still very popular, I, I'm I'm always surprised that. The NHL, and you know, maybe you know Andrew Ference here, um, by way of his business card, um, you look at his his title is director of social impact, growth, and fan development. I mean, these seem like easy ways. To help create new generations of fans, getting them to understand the game, even if it's not going to be on the ice, understand it uh, on a schoolyard, you know, slab of concrete or on a tennis court or wherever you're going to play ball hockey. I'm just surprised they haven't tried to capture more of the hockey market, which isn't just hockey on the ice. You know what I mean? Like I know they've done a lot with. Um, uh, with video games, certainly, and that 's a vibrant community, but there 's a lot of other hockey communities that are out there that really don 't have anything to do with ice. So I look at this press release from yesterday and i say yeah that's that 's good that 's smart it 's obvious, regardless of how long it took them to get there i 'm just you know in the camp that says i 'm glad they got there because capturing the entire hockey market if i 'm the NHL is something i 'm really interested in doing." Now, uh, and by the way, uh, ball hockey, as you know, Maddie, a great cross-training sport for ice hockey, as is a sport like lacrosse. Keep your cardio up, stay tough, hand-eye coordination, all of it. It is a fantastic cross-training sport. Now, speaking of training, can I welcome uh, Bob Tativa here to the program in a couple of minutes. So Bob is... The CEO of Sensarena. So uh, Kevin Woodley first introduced me to to Sensarena, and we talked about uh, goalie training with with Sensarena. It's essentially a virtual reality sports training um, program. That allows that allows players to you know rehab injuries in a non-contact, safe kind of way, and also as a way to keep your skills really sharp. I've wanted to talk to Bob now uh, for a long time. Finally, was able to put it together. I think you're going to find this fascinating, specifically if you have kids involved in sports and want something that can complement their training and you can do it in the garage you can do it in the living room you can do it in the basement it's pretty cool it's virtual reality sports training uh bob pativa the founder and ceo of uh, sensorina joins me here in a couple of moments as americ show continues across the sportsnet radio network simulcast on sportsnet 360 back in a flash
4: Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitri Filipovich.
2: Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio
1: Network. Welcome back to the program. So, as I was mentioning before the break, the first time I heard about Sensorena was a conversation with Kevin Woodley of Goal Magazine. And we were talking about goaltending training and specifically goaltending training while rehabbing from injuries, while rehabbing from concussions. And he told me all about it, and like I'm fascinated with the sports tech realm to begin with, and so, um, so this idea of virtual reality sports training really hits me where I live. Uh, pleased to welcome aboard to the program the founder and CEO of Sensorina, Bob Tativa. Bob, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this.
3: Hi, Jeff. Uh, I'm I'm great, and uh, really excited being on your show. It's a pleasure of mine.
1: Well, it's a it's a pleasure to have you too. And and this is like I, I was saying before you came on. You know, I I think Philip Grubauer might have been the player that we were talking about once upon a time. And Kevin and I were uh, Woodley from Ingold, were talking about what he was doing. You know, rehabbing, coming off uh, various injuries. And he told me about sensory, and I started to do some investigating and read a lot about you know virtual reality sports training. And you have platforms for tennis, platforms for hockey as well. Before we get to specifically how this can help hockey players at all levels um share a little bit about your background as a as an innovator in the sports tech atmosphere here uh sure sure um
3: uh well i'm um might be a surprise uh, to you but i'm a former basketball player uh I played professionally a couple of years in in Europe. I didn't make it to NBA or the Olympics. Actually, my dad did uh, go to two Olympics back in uh, 1954 and 60, I think it was. Um, I wasn't that good, but Mm -hmm. uh, I inherited uh, passion for sport uh, 100%. I I moved to finish my um, university degree and I actually found myself being an innovator and uh, mainly a, product, a guy who who uh, develops new products. I was working in the telecoms industry for 15 years in uh, uh, the age when, you know, GSM networks and mobile data were invented. And then I went into my um, kind of startup career and actually nice my third startup uh, that uh, brought me back to sport, which I absolutely love and enjoy doing. Mm-hmm.
1: So, how, how do you co- how do you come across? I'm, I'm always curious, you know, the the genesis of something like this. I mean, virtual reality, you know, has been with us certainly for a number of years, but unit, using it um, to benefit and to help train athletes for the you know, purposes of this show, hockey players specifically at the NHL level and lower, going all the way down to to youth and, and minor hockey. Where did this come from for you specifically with hockey?
3: Well, the uh you know, I started with the VR like uh, mastering the technology not on that I would be a developer but more uh, from the business perspective back 2015, uh, which was kind of the, the, the initial hype of the, of the new era of that. Um, and at that time I had a digital marketing agency. Uh, we actually, uh, invested into VR and did applications for like car manufacturers. So we, we did stuff like you know, simulation of, a, a car ride, uh, uh, at the Prague castle in a car, uh, Um, from uh, like 100 years uh, ago and I thought hey this is this is so real so let's do Mm -hmm. something for sport and uh, as I obviously I have kids and uh, my son actually uh, plays hockey he was 10 at the time and uh, it sort of clicked that, um, you know, this is a fantastic tool for simulation and visualization of the sports environment, especially for um, situations when, you know, either you it's, it's not that obvious that you can get on ice anytime you want, or uh, if you are there and you are at the age when you actually absorb all... The news and you are especially in a team sport where uh, you rely on your teammates and when you when you do practice you you know this better than me that you know um, it's actually calculated that within one hour practice you can touch the puck uh, something like you know one and a half minutes and you are in in motion for 15 minutes so the intensity is definitely not there and and this was an opportunity
1: you know, one of the things that um that that's quite remarkable about this and that like my, my kids use this and they love it and a lot of other kids that I know do it as well. The the one interesting thing about it is it's a to your point, it's a way to train, it's a way to have the puck on stick or it's a way to get more shots um in an environment where there's 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 no wear and tear on the body at all. It's not as if Absolutely. you've just had a 90-minute or or 2-hour practice. This is, you know, you're in your living room or in the basement or in the garage and someone's taking shots on you if you're a goaltender or you're using it as a player to be able to process, you know, all the sort of myriad of, of data points. That you have to process in different situations that you're going to come through uh, when you play on the ice. This is like I'm curious how you would describe this type of of training platform because I can't do it justice the way that you can. How would you describe <laughs> from a hockey player's point of view how this is beneficial? I've seen it. I've seen my kids do it. I've seen you know pro athletes do it. How would you describe it?
3: Well, it's um, uh, it's simple in the way that. Um, uh let me let me explain the the principles how how we do it because uh that's important to uh to to explain that that this is not about physicality of the sport about um you know mm. being more uh technical or more um uh physically fit this is actually Employing your brain, your cognitive skills, your hockey IQ, your reactions, your decision-making stuff like that. So uh, you yep. don't have to be perfect in 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 passing or receiving the puck. Uh, definitely not shooting because this is this is not about this. the 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 the, the principles are. In the fact that uh, your brain uh, actually uh, works the way that uh, whatever you see, the brain uh, remembers, records. Uh, but obviously, if you see something just for for one you know one time. Uh, it, you, you lose that, uh, or you lose that. But if, if you see it you know, 10 uh, times, 100 times, you start to create a pattern, the brain starts to create a pr- pattern, and then in a fast-moving environment such as hockey, when there is definitely no time to think, you have to just read and react, your brain reveals those patterns that have been sort of hard-coded uh, and act accordingly. Um, so if you are a young athlete, and you haven't been confronted in you know how to play the puck uh, in the corner uh when there is a uh, you know bunch of other guys coming after you uh you would be very awkward and kind of afraid because you don't haven't had that experience yet but if you have that experience yeah. in VR 100 times more often than than on ice when you play the game and you have 20 shifts a game your brain actually remembers those those patterns, and then when you get really on the ice in that situation uh everything is faster in 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 the processing it it obviously it helps your game, but it even avoids injuries because you you feel like you have been there, you have seen it, you know that you should uh, make a shoulder check and and look right and left and uh and play accordingly um so that's that's sort of like the uh the principles how it works.
1: There's yeah, there's the the physical training, and then there's almost using your brain as a muscle, and this is a way to exercise that. And it's a like, to your point about something as simple as a puck being in the corner. It's a consequence-free way of learning how to play that properly and hardwiring your brain so it, it understands how to do that. Now, one of the first conversations. Um, that I had about this and I mentioned it was with Kevin Woodley from InGold magazine. One of the points that he brought up with, uh, with me was that this is a great way for goaltenders to be able to train specifically goaltenders that are coming off of concussions. Because you know the idea is, you know, you're 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 essentially training your brain and you're hardwiring your brain to react a very certain way, but there's there's no damage that's done. There's no physicality. Um, you're not exerting anything other than brain power, and it's a way to keep your skills sharp when you're coming off of something as sensitive as a concussion, which, unfortunately, given the nature of this sport, is just a reality of hockey, Bob.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, um, this is a use case that uh, for for the uh, you know pros and NHLers uh, that we see, but we have gone beyond this m- massively and uh, there are other use cases that the PROS actually uh, utilize and uh, when we speak about the goalie version, uh, we just had our advisory call with uh, my uh, goaltending advisors last week and uh, It was hilarious eli wilson who is a monk of uh, our advisory board uh, mentioned uh, a statement that i um, I remember now uh, forever and he said you know sensorina is the closest thing to be on ice in in real so it's not only like Mm -hmm. rehabbing but um, actually mastering your your skills getting better in a specific way. Uh, in goalies, it's obviously something different than playing the puck in the corner, but uh, because we have, mm-hmm. um, we call it video uh, drills, so that you see, we have recorded videos of NHLers uh, uh, from the perspective of of uh, of the goalie, from the crease, and uh, you see those videos, and whenever they actually shoot, we replace the puck on the video with, uh, so to speak, a real puck that travels to the goalie to make the save. The goalies actually love this because for goalies it's not about you know like reactions, but uh, actually um, reading the release from the blade and uh, already you know like reading the clues of you know their arms and and shoulders uh, so that they know even before it uh, the puck is released that it's gonna go uh, left, right, uh, top, down, uh, and that's a skill that that. Uh, you don't really have much time during the practice to to do because you focus again on the physicality and you have screens in front of you and, and many other things. Uh, so this is how, for instance, Eli uses this or, or many other actually coaches. And it can be uh, goalie kits at home. Uh, I've seen samples. You know, kids sitting in a, in their living room on a chair and just watching the releases and kind of remembering oh, the yeah. moves. Well, how oh, how yeah. it how it looks like if it goes. You know, right top shelf, uh, uh, so that they then they uh, then see the puck uh, in real on the ice. Uh, they will remember the same pattern and they will know that it uh, goes there.
1: Uh, the best way to uh, find more information out about Sensorena is uh on Instagram at Sensorena, on Twitter at Sensorena um, as well. Um, what One final question for you here. How many, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, how many NHLers, whether it's goaltenders, forwards, how many NHLers actively use this virtual reality sports training platform? Uh,
3: it's around 40. Uh, 40 for 40 NHLs. We have five uh, teams contracts, long-term contracts, and then uh, around 40 individual users. So we are very happy about that. We have 13 um, NCAA Division One organizations as well using, and then then thousands of kids at home, uh, which I'm especially proud of and, and happy about because uh, uh, the the real like. Uh, specific time or the, the the golden time for you know influencing your brain, your hockey IQ is in fact between the age of ten and sixteen, uh, when the sport is mm. not yet that physical and you can really learn um, how to be a smart hockey player, which is beautiful.
1: It's awesome. Um, it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful platform. Um, virtual reality sports training. My guest has been Bob Tativa, the founder and CEO. Of Sensarena, you can find out more at Sensarena dot com. Uh, it really is incredible, and it's very cool um, to watching uh, to watch kids do it, to watch NHLers uh, do it as well, and even to put the headset on yourself uh, and try it out. Bob, thanks so much for stopping by today. This is uh, this is quite remarkable and uh, and, and revolutionary. We uh, we thank you for your time. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Bob Tativa is the uh, founder and CEO of uh, of Sense Arena, and get, have, have a look online. And there's a lot of videos you can find of this, of sort of what it looks like um, inside the headset and the feeling that you get. Like I've put it on before and stood, and, and it's felt like you're standing at center ice at Madison Square Garden, and you have the full VR kit and taking a shot or playing as a as a goaltender and taking a shot as well. You know, the, one of the things that I that I wonder about with virtual reality. And there's, it's, it's one thing to be part of it as a player or a netminder and use it to sort of refine skills. What I wonder about when it comes to the future, and I'm sure there's already some teams that are at this level. I believe NFL teams are at this level with virtual reality training. And I wonder about it at the hockey level, certainly the NHL level. And I don't know the answer to this. If anybody does, please let me know. I wonder if we're at the... If we're at the spot yet with virtual reality training where teams can, in advance of playing, like let's say you're the Pittsburgh Penguins and you're playing the Philadelphia Flyers, if you're Tristan Jari, can you, the night before, using virtual reality or a platform like like Sense Arena, can you have a simulation of the Philadelphia, based on all the data points from that season going into it, Can you replicate what a Philadelphia Flyers power play would be like in order to hardwire that into your brain for the game coming up tomorrow? That The movement patterns, the puck movement patterns, what they do, how they set up, where they go, based on all the information that you've been able to accrue going through the entire season. Are we there yet? I don't know the answer, but I would imagine that's probably on the horizon that scouting is probably going to go a little bit further than just watching video and having one of your coaches say, these are the tendencies to actually putting on the VR headset, specifically if you're a goaltender and saying, okay, I'm going to spend an hour here on my VR headset essentially playing against the Philadelphia Flyers' power play so I start to get a sense of what the Flyers' tendencies are when they have a demand advantage. Anyway, the whole thing is fascinating to me. Again, Kevin Woodley turned me on to this about a year and a half ago, and I've been fascinated by it uh, ever since, and everyone that I've ever talked to about it kind of shares the same thing. It's, it's, it's a really cool way. Think of it this way. It's a way to train your brain to play hockey. Essentially, that's what it is. And I think that's a interesting point that Bob brings up, too, the idea that your ideas or your ways to learn the game. A lot of that gets hardwired in between the ages of 10 to 16 where you're really starting to to pick it up and understanding that game. This takes it now to another level. It's real cool, folks. Um, Sensorina is the name of the company. Thank Bob Tativa for stopping by today. All right. Uh, tonight around the NHL, we've got 10 games. Um, it all starts off with uh, a bunch of seven o'clockers. I know everyone grouses about too many games starting at the same time. I know everyone wants it staggered, but nonetheless, we got some intriguing ones. Uh, it's a return of Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals facing off against the Anaheim Ducks. We have the Penguins and Oilers on Sportsnet East, Ontario and West. Also, later on on Sportsnet West and Sportsnet 1, the Flames and the Golden Knights. That gets underway at 9 Eastern. And your nightcap game, the Seattle Kraken facing off against the Boston Bruins. That one on Sportsnet 360. A couple of other really intriguing ones as well. The New York Rangers facing off against the Red Wings as the Red Wings continue their charge to try to get into a playoff position in the Eastern Conference. Thanks to Bob Tativa to, to for stopping by from Sense Arena. Uh, Andrew Ference, the NHL Director of Social Impact, Growth, and Fan Development. Ball hockey was on the menu today. Thanks to uh, Quinn Johnson for submitting Lou Fontenato as the uh, random player of the day. Tarek Al-Bashir about the return of Ovechkin tonight for the Washington Capitals. And with all the trade rumors, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. Merrick show returns tomorrow. Have a good rest of your day.